on them. Um, I'm so grateful that we have the opportunity today to open up the Word of God and just hear a word from God. We have been working through the Gospel of John. And I have, as I have gone through and start, just studying through the Gospel of John, I have been in awe of Jesus Christ. Um, in fact, Brian, one of our elders, uh, he was, we, I was going in a whole different direction, and he, he suggested to reorient and, and head down this path. And I'm so grateful he did, because I have just been blessed by seeing who Jesus Christ is and what he means to us. So today we're going to be in John uh, chapter 5, verses 25 through 29, is where our focus will be uh, this morning. I'd like to pray before we get started. Heavenly Father, we come to you today with our hearts full of joy. We're grateful as we have sung these hymns and songs, these spiritual songs that have perhaps resonated with our hearts today as we've attempted to ascribe worth to you. How do, you, how do we do that sufficiently? How do we how are we able, to, with our feeble tongues, with our, with our broken hearts, with our sin-filled lives, how can we even come close to adequately ascribing you worth? You are so worthy. You are so mighty. You are so amazing. And so, Father, today as we, as we have opportunity to not only have sung songs to you, but to hear a word from you, may we, Lord, have ears to hear Even in our hearts right now, Father, may we pray that we would have ears to hear. There are people here today, Lord, I know that are struggling. There's there's sin issues that they're wrestling with. There's circumstances that have been crushing in on them throughout this week. and, and, And maybe their hearts are full of despair and discouragement. I pray today, Lord, that your word would be sufficient for them. And that your spirit would minister to them. And Lord, for those here today that are full of joy, life has been good. Help them to rejoice in you today. And Lord, for those that are not believers that are here today, I'm so grateful that they are here. And I pray that they would be encouraged with your word. That they would be challenged in their heart to become a follower of Jesus Christ today. And that's why we exist. That's why you left us here. To make Jesus famous and to make disciples of all nations. And so, Lord, help us, uh, help those that need to know Jesus, that they would taste and see that he is good. So, God, we ask these things, and we ask that you would work in, in a way that only you can work. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, as I said, we're in John chapter 5, verses 25 through 29. The title of the sermon today is, Do You Want to Live? Listen to Jesus. Do you want to live? Listen to Jesus. I don't know if you've paid attention to the news this week, but it has been disturbing, challenging. Uh, so many things happening in the beginning of the week. We see the indictment with Hillary Clinton and all of that stuff going on. And, and i got to tell you, it makes my heart heavy that we have someone running for the President of the United States that's under that kind of scrutiny. And uh, it, it just shouldn't be the case. And then... Black Lives Matters, White Lives Matters, all these different lives matters. And, 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 the, and the reality is, is that all lives matter. All lives matter. And, and, and this divisive rhetoric is growing by the minute. 
And for most of us here this morning, it has become overwhelming to try and understand how to navigate through this social nightmare because that's exactly what it is. And, and I think we're all hoping that we're going to wake up and that this, this is simply just a bad dream that, that we'll, we'll soon wake up from. This Dallas shootings, the Orlando shootings, the police shootings. How are we supposed to, as believers in Jesus Christ, as American citizens, how are we supposed to process all of this? How are we supposed to understand all of this? There is no question that our culture is shifting into rapid decline. Life as we knew it is becoming a distant memory. And many of us here even this morning are a little bit anxious about what our future holds. Does life matter? Whether black or white or whatever color, shouldn't all lives matter? Well, of course, by the very fact that you and I are created in the image of God should give us our answer. However... As perhaps you understand, few in our world have a worldview that agrees with what I've just said. The growing number of nuns, and I'm not talking about Catholic nuns, I'm talking about N-O-N-E-S, nuns, nuns, coupled with uh, uh, the starvation of biblical knowledge for those of us who claim to be Christians, coupled with an increasing secular push to the left, should cause us not to be surprised when no matter what people say, life doesn't matter all that much, regardless of skin color, regardless of age, regardless of gender, and so on. The secularization of our world is causing life not to matter, but the value of life to actually diminish. And that brings us to what we want to talk about today. Life is a precious commodity. Amen? Every life. Every life. From conception to natural death, every life is precious. We just had a little precious one join our family. And and Kenzie's back there. Stand up and embarrass yourself, would you? Um, There he is, little Elliot. My man, Elliot. And uh, we, Elliot and I hung out yesterday a little bit, and uh, I'm here to tell you that I think he likes me. <laughs> Every life is precious. It's a precious commodity. But there is a distinction that we as Christians need to understand, a distinction that clearly shows that is clearly shown in the text that we're going to be studying this morning. So the question is, what is this distinction? The focus of our national news is about this life. This life. Do lives matter? Of course they do. But Christians understand something. Understand that it goes beyond this life. This life is simply a precursor to the life that is to come. In, in other words, in other words, the Bible teaches clearly that there is an eternal life awaiting us. Yes, this life matters, but obtaining eternal life is the biggest and the most important goal you can possibly reach. And the scriptures are absolutely crystal clear. There is only one way that this is possible. And our text this morning makes it even more clear. Last week, 
we covered the idea that Jesus is God. Jesus is God, very God. And from the text, we prove that Jesus more than qualifies as the unique and amazing, distinctive God that he is. Jesus is God and has all authority because of this fact. Remember what verse 24 said in John 5. It says, truly, truly, Jesus, these are his words. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Jesus has authority over life and death. This week, John develops this this thought even more and makes the point because Jesus' equality, he is equal with God the Father. And he has authority over all things. So what does this mean for you and me? Well, it's really quite simple. Listen to Jesus if you want to live. That's the main idea uh, for the sermon this morning. Listen to Jesus if you want to live. I know that sounds dramatic, but it's so true. I know the world doesn't understand it. And in fact, even rejects it. But it's so true. Eternal life is bound up. In Jesus Christ. There there are reasons why that we should listen to Jesus. Three reasons from this text. And the first one is this. Jesus' voice gives life from God. Jesus' voice gives life from God. Look at verse 25. It says, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. You know, when I think of magnificent voices, I, I think of, uh, I think of um, you know, a voice that's powerful and, and moving. I think of like James Earl Jones, right? Yeah, I mean, he's the voice of Darth Vader and Mufasa and uh, the Lion King, and he's this great voice. He just rumbles out of his, out of his mouth. Or, or perhaps, uh, I'm, I'm a nerd, so forgive me, but uh, Luciano Pavarotti. I mean, come on, is there a better tenor than Luciano Pavarotti? He's just a beautiful voice, moving to hear him sing. He, he just makes it sound so effortless. But the voice of the Lord... The voice of the Lord is, is far greater, far greater than the greatest and, and most talented voice that has ever been on the face of the earth. Why? Because Jesus' voice gives life. The Word of God, Jesus, the Word of God is also the voice of God. And the voice of God calls people from death unto life. If you're a believer here today, At one point in your history, you heard the voice of God and he opened your ears and he opened your heart so that you could respond to the beautiful gospel of Jesus Christ and you did respond and you were born again and became a follower of Jesus Christ. Was that something that you mustered up inside of you? Absolutely not. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saves us. This glorious voice, this magnificent voice calls out that you might be saved. 
And for those of you that are Christians, you, you've experienced that. But what God says with His voice, what God says with His voice needs to be heard. In verse 25, we see two familiar words that we saw back in verse 24. Truly, truly. Uh, amen and amen. It means yes. The word amen means yes, or it means it is so. So Jesus, the voice of God, is yet again saying, listen folks, heads up, this is important. I have something very important that I want you to hear. And, and what he wants his audience to hear is twofold. He says there is an hour coming and is now here. There's an hour coming and there is an hour that is now here. Where something significant is going to happen. Well, what is that hour? Well, the hour is the time when people will move from death to life. Well, when, is, when is this hour coming? Well, according to this text, it's a both and. It's, it, was when Je- it was when he, Jesus, was there speaking to the crowd. And it will be a time in the future. It's, a, it's an already, not yet. We just talked about that in our equipping class this morning, about the, the judgment of God is already, not yet. And so it is with Jesus, an already, not yet. Let, let me explain. Jesus is speaking of a, of a twofold reality of the resurrection. That's what this passage is about, is about the resurrection. The resurrection is a huge and important concept in the Bible. In fact, it's something that's covered throughout the scriptures. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 42 and 43, it says this, So is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is, it is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. What's he talking about? He's talking about the resurrection, the resurrected body. Jesus Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection. He resurrected on the third day from the dead. And because of his resurrection, we who are weak and feeble and broken, by his power, can be raised unto new life. We look forward to that day. So first, Jesus says that the hour of the resurrection is coming. There will be a day when believers will rise from the dead. Literally, a physical resurrection. And then Jesus says the hour of the resurrection is now here. Well, what does he mean? Jesus is referring to himself. In fact, in John chapter 11, verse 25, it says, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. Jesus is the resurrection. He didn't just simply resurrect. He is the resurrection. Already? Not yet. Already at this already is the point of salvation in Colossians chapter 2 verse 13 it says and you who were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh God made alive together with him having forgiven all our trespasses you were dead you all of us in this room qualify for that Dead in our transgression, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, but God made alive. That's the point of salvation. There is a time, ladies and gentlemen, 
where you are not a Christian. None of us can say, well, I've always been a Christian. There's, there's a point in time where you have to become a Christian. We covered that in John chapter 3, the idea of being born again and, and, and literally coming into a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's, that's the doctrine of, of, of being justified before God and, and God declares you innocent based on not your righteousness because you and I have none, but on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And at that point in time, you become a follower of Jesus Christ. You're born again. And, and in that sense, you are spiritually resurrected from the dead. But the not yet, the not yet is when our salvation is fully experienced. Ladies and gentlemen, do you realize that this is not as good as it gets? Right? I mean, the, the, the best is yet to come. Uh, when we're, and if this is the best it gets, man, I'm out, right? I am telling you. I mean, it's pretty good, but God has some amazing things planned for us, and he promises to resurrect us. In fact, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21, it says this, but our citizenship is in heaven. I love being an American, but you know what? My citizenship is in heaven. And I'm looking forward to that day. And he says, so Paul says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Now, I'm going to be 48 next month. I can attest to you that my body is becoming more and more lowly by the year. Can I get a witness? I'm like, come on. I'm not, don't witness about my body. I mean, I'm talking about yours. <laughs> and it, it just, it's like, oh, I go, I go out to go for a run and I feel like I'm going to die. You know, it's just, what's happening to me? We have a lowly body. But what's the promise? We're going to have a glorified body. I think I'm actually going to have abs when I have a glorified body. I'm, I'm hoping. I'm hoping for that. He's going to transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. And he does that by his power. It's amazing. And it's something that we as believers in Jesus Christ hang our hat on. We look forward to. It's the promise that he's given us. He, the first fruit of the resurrection, promises that we will too resurrect. So we not only have resurrected spiritually, we will resurrect physically. So the question is, who are the dead who will hear in this text? Who are the dead? And when you, when you start to read through the scriptures, you, you begin to see uh, from the first book of Genesis to the last book of Revelation, you will notice a significant truth about humans. We're all sinners. The, the Bible is not very flattering to humankind. It tells it like it is. And we are all sinners. Second Chronicles chapter 6, verse 36 says, If they sin against you... For there is no one who does not sin. And of course, Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is a uni- universal problem that we all share in. And the result of sin is what? Death. 
The result of sin is death. That was promised to Adam way back in Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. It's a promise. And of course we know the story. If They did eat of it, and we were plunged into sin and death. So, Death entered the world. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all men, because all sinned. It's a universal problem. Every one of us in this room struggle with this malady. And sin brings forth death. So they and you and me are in need of help. We're in need of resurrection. Well, what's the result of the dead hearing the voice of Jesus? Life. That's a great place for you to say amen. Life. Good. Yeah, you're getting it. That's good. This is amazing. It's an amazing truth that, that the resurrection is available to us. Jesus himself, the resurrection and the life the voice of God gives us life. Romans 10:17 says, "So faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ." So let me be clear about something, however. When we're talking about hearing, we're talking about hearing. Right? So hearing is hearing. So when my wife is talking to me, and gentlemen, you understand, we can only focus on one thing at a time, right? And so when our wife is talking to us and, and we're focusing on something else vastly more important than our wives, at least seemingly at the time, and she says something, I'm not hearing her. And so because I'm not hearing her, I'm not doing what she's asking or I'm not responding accordingly. Well, so it is the kind of hearing we're talking about here. We're not just talking about a casual hearing. We're talking about an assent, a belief, a a trust. So for those that trust, they hear, they listen to the Word of God. They are the ones that are saved. So faith comes by hearing. And so hearing with the ears of faith. So what should we do? What should we do with this? Well, very simply, God wants you to live. So listen up. Open your ears of faith and hear the voice of God who promises to give you life and give it abundantly. To resurrect your dead soul to a living soul. Listen up. We need to open our ears and do what our Father tells us. Through the sun. You know, TV dramas, I'm sure you've watched your share of TV dramas or movies and, and, and where, uh, where there's some experience, uh, inexperienced person, you know, there's some, something happening and, and someone needs surgery. And, and, and they're off in some remote area and an ambulance can't get there. And so, you know, what do we do? What do we do? And so they get on the phone and they're talking to a doctor, right? And the doctor's stepping them through uh, this intricate surgery to save someone's life. Now, Do you think that person is hearing the doctor when they have the life of that person in their hands? Absolutely. Ladies and gentlemen, the God of the the Scriptures, the God of the world, wants you to hear Him. 
He wants you to hear the voice of His Son so that you can live. Listen to Jesus if you want to live. Number two, Jesus' authority. Jesus' authority comes from God. Look at verses 26 and 27. Verse 26 says, For as the Father has life in Himself, so He has granted the Son also to have life in Himself. And He has given Him authority to execute judgment because He is the Son of Man. How is it that when people have the ears of faith that we're talking about, that they can pass from death to life? How is it that we who are dead can, can simply live because of faith? Well, the, excuse me, the answer is because of God. The Father and the Son, both according to this text, have life. They possess eternal life. The Father has eternal life, and He has granted the Son eternal life. This granting of eternal life, now stick with me here, has taken place for all of eternity. So there is a constant granting of eternal life from the Father to the Son for all of eternity. And while Jesus was here on earth in his his humiliated state when he became a, a man and dwelt among us, the Father granted the Son the ability to give eternal life. So the Father, uh, let me read this for you. The word given in this context refers to permission or privilege and power. The Father appointed the Son to give eternal life to those who believe. During His time on earth, the, uh, the Christ gave up His independent exercise of His attributes and placed Himself under the Father's direct will. And in taking upon Himself the position of a human being, Jesus looked to the Father for the authority to give life. That's what's happening here. The Father has given authority to the Son to give life. But not only that, according to the text, the Father grants the Son judgment. He has granted Him the authority to execute judgment. Why? Because He's the Son of Man. Well, let me talk about this just for a minute. In Genesis chapter 18, verse 25, God is called the judge of all the earth. In Judges chapter 11, verse 27, God is called the Lord, the judge. So there's no question that throughout the scriptures, God is depicted as a God who will and does exact judgment. If you spend any time in the Bible, you're going to see that. In fact, um, If you remember in the Old Testament, in Numbers chapter 16, verses 31 through 35, you see Korah's rebellion. Korah raised himself up and opposed Moses and what happened to him. And you can read about that in Numbers 16. And what happened to him is he was swallowed. He and his family was swallowed up into the earth. And fire came out from the Lord and consumed an additional 250 men that were offering incense. God judged them on the spot. How about in Leviticus chapter 10, verses 1 through 3? 
this issue of strange fire. I want to read this for you. It says, Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. And then Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord has said, Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified, and before all the people I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. His two sons offered strange fire or inappropriate fire, and God killed them, judged them on the spot. Judgment is throughout the Scriptures. And lest you think this is only an Old Testament thing, you can flip over to Acts chapter 5. Verses 1 through 11, and you see what happens when a couple decide to lie to God with Ananias and Sapphira. And they sold some property. And they, they held back some of the proceeds. They didn't, they didn't have to do that. They, they chose to, and they, they lied. And, they, and, and because of that, both Ananias and Sapphira were killed at separate times. God judged them instantaneously. It's interesting in verse 11 what it says, And in great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. No kidding! Can you imagine? They lied and died on the spot? All of a sudden, the holiness of God is rekindled and people are starting to ask, Who is this God? God is the judge. And Jesus is God. And therefore, Jesus is the judge. Yes, of course, as we spent time in John 3.16-21, through 21, we saw in John 3.17 that God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that in order that the world might be saved through Him. The first time Jesus came, He came on a rescue mission. And those of us that are in Christ, He is still on that rescue mission. And we are here to help Him rescue people from eternal condemnation. The second time he comes, he will exact judgment. Ladies and gentlemen, this isn't popular to preach. People don't like to hear this stuff. It doesn't build churches. It's not tickling of ears stuff. But it's truth nonetheless. The second time he comes, he will exact judgment. In Acts chapter 10, verse 42, it says, And he commanded us to preach to the people and testify that he is the one appointed by God. He, Jesus, is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. In Acts 17, 31, it says, Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, Jesus. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. And of course, Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. This is Jesus. Born in a manger, meek and mild, came to rescue, will exact judgment in the future. We need to understand this. Because he's not only the Son of God, but the Son of Man, like our text says. This qualifies him appropriately to be just that. Leon Morris said this, This this is Jesus' favorite self-designation. It gives, gives an excellent reason for judgment being committed to him. He is the heavenly figure 
of Daniel chapter 7, verse 14, to whom is given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. This is Jesus. Prophesied in Daniel, realized in Revelation. And so this Jesus has been given all authority over life to exact judgment. So what does this mean for you and I? Well, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, it should give you peace that the world doesn't fully get. If you're not a follower of Christ, it should encourage you to have ears of faith, to listen That there is something coming in the future. There is a judgment coming in the future that you need to pay attention to. And you need to repent of your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ. I want to share with you a verse in 2 Timothy that the Apostle Paul shared with Timothy about how he entrusted his soul to God. He says, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifest through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard it until the day which has been entrusted to me. If you're a Christian here today, and you you understand the concept that judgment is coming, you can have a peace that the world does not understand. The same peace that the Apostle Paul had because he entrusted his immortal soul to someone who is more than capable of keeping watch over it. And I trust that that is your testimony today. I trust that that's your, your heart today. Jesus is the Lord of life. Jesus is the judge over all things. He's in charge of life, and he's in charge of judging all things. And, and if these two things are true, my question for you today is where is your allegiance? Are you indeed a follower of Jesus Christ? Or is it something that you've professed but not actually possessed? You know, the church is full of people that profess Christ, but do they possess Christ? The one who is offered to give you life. If there's been no change in your life, if there's no, if there's no desire for the things of God, if you, if you come to church because this is a perfunctory activity and I, I want to make sure that I'm keeping up appearances, folks... That will not gain you eternal life. Turn your heart to the one who is life, who can give eternal life, and will in fact judge you if you don't have the gift of eternal life. 
Listen to what R.C. Sproul said. He said, the very word authority has within it the word author. An author is someone who creates and possesses a particular work. Insofar as God is the foundation of all authority, he exercises that foundation because he is the author and the owner of his creation. He is the foundation upon which all other authority stands or falls. He's the author of life, and therefore he has authority over it. Listen to Jesus if you want to live. Listen to Jesus if you want to live. He, Jesus' voice gives life from God. Jesus' authority comes from God. And because Jesus has given all authority over life and judgment, that leads us into number three. Jesus decides your fate because he is God. Look at verse 28 and 29. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and to those who have done evil, the resurrection of judges or judgment. Earlier in verse 25, we, uh, Jesus speaks of an hour that's coming. Now, now he says it again. But, but this time he's speaking of a time when all will hear the voice of the Son. All will hear the voice of the Son. All will hear his voice, the righteous and the evil. And, and, and they will hear his voice and they will come out of the grave. And, and Jesus says, we ought not to be surprised. Don't marvel at this. You, you ought not to be surprised by this statement. If you get to the end of time and, and you stand before Jesus and you say, I, I had no idea. No, you have an idea right here in this verse. Don't be surprised. Marvel not, Jesus said. D.I. Carson said this, the voice of the... Um, the voice of the Son is powerful enough to generate spiritual life now, and it will be powerful enough to call forth, call forth the dead then. He can call forth life now, and he will call forth the dead then. That's how powerful our Savior is. And, and we see a precursor to this, this type of resurrection in John chapter 11, when, when Jesus Stands before Lazarus' grave. Marvelous story. Lazarus had passed away. His good friend had passed away. He's, he's wrapped up in some 75 pounds worth of grave clothes. And Jesus wept. And then what happened? With the voice he called and said, Lazarus, come forth. And what did Lazarus do? He came out. Now, he wasn't in there hiding out, waiting for the Lord to do this. This wasn't some great plan, this, uh, some charlatan thing going on. No, in fact, his sister said, Lord, the King James says, he, I think he's been in there four days. He might stinketh. I like that, stinketh. He's going to smell. He's decomposing. This is not a great idea. And Lazarus comes hopping out and Get the clothes off him so he can breathe so he doesn't die again. Jesus called him forth with his voice. We also see a glimpse of this in uh, Matthew chapter 27, verses 52 and 53. Did you you know this took place at the crucifixion of Jesus? The tombs were also opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. 
And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Can you imagine that? Uncle Bob dies and you put him into the grave and, and then this crucifixion takes place and you're, you're in the temple area and all of a sudden, Uncle Bob, whoa, what happened? Here he is. He's alive. We miss that. It's a marvelous aspect of the story of the crucifixion. If we're not careful, we can look at verse 29 and get the idea that one is saved by doing good or, or, do, uh, or not be saved by the doing of evil. And, 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 and certainly, that is what the text says. And, and we can't change the text to accommodate our thinking. So how should we understand this text? Well, well, well you must always interpret Scripture with Scripture. So whenever you run into something you, you need, and you go, hmm, you kind of puzzle over it a little bit. Well, let's look at the rest of the Scripture. The Bible is its own best interpreter. So first of all, there is no question on the emphasis uh, in John's Gospel on belief. John 3.16 is clear, right? Uh, for, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And so forth. God, God did not send His Son, according to verse 17, into this world to condemn the world, but that in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes is not condemned. Whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. Light has come into the world and people that love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen, and that his works may have been carried out in God. It is our responsibility to believe. In John chapter 6, verses 28 and 29, it says this, Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? You want to know what the Lord said? This is the work of God, that you believe in Him whom He has sent. You want to know what the work of God is? Believe in Jesus Christ. The the ability and the opportunity to believe is by the grace of God. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and it is not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not a result of works, lest anyone would boast. And then... We get to work, which is what verse 10 says. There is a way one is supposed to live after they come to faith. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Well, the result? Becoming a Christian will result in a changed life. Becoming a follower of Jesus will change your life. The Christian will follow the law of Christ and his or her life will result in a life change, a life of doing good. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46. And I think I might even have it up on the screen. Here we see Jesus Christ separating the sheep from the goats. This this dual resurrection. The resurrection of the good and the resurrection of the bad. 
the sheep and the goats. It says, when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations, and He will separate people from one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from goats. And He will place the sheep on His right, but the goats on His left. And the King will say to those on His right, Come, you who are blessed by My Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. When I was in prison, you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you and, and hungry and, and feed you and, and, and thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and, and visit you? And the king will answer them. Truly, I say to you, as you did as to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. And then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. And then I will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you. And then he will answer them saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Why did those sheep do good? Because they were followers of Jesus Christ. They didn't do good to obtain eternal life. In fact, they were ignorant of it. They did good because they were followers of Jesus Christ. Becoming a follower of Christ will change your life. Jesus is speaking of a double resurrection. A resurrection of life or a resurrection to eternal death. And because Jesus is God, He decides your fate. And and in this decision... He gives you the choice. Isn't that amazing? Thank you, Jesus is right. He gives us the choice. So what should we do with this, folks? Listen to his voice and become his follower. Remember John 6, 29, Jesus answered them, This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and the promises you will be saved. But then, walk in the new life. Walk in the new life. If you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, walk accordingly. And perhaps you're here today and you've gotten off the path a little bit. And and self has become more important to you than God. Remember my little poem? Just two choices on the shelf. Pleasing God or pleasing self. Every point of decision is an act of worship. And maybe those decisions as of late has demonstrated that you're actually worshiping yourself more than you're worshiping God. Folks, I'm right with you. This week, I have had to repent of some things because I was starting to worship myself more than I'm worshiping God. 
I'm, in, my own, in my own time with the Lord, I have some definite things that I am praying through because He's yanking my chain and saying, Green, get back on track. And if that's you today, there's hope. You have a loving God, a heavenly Father that's calling you back to walk on the path. He's not some, he's not some ogre that wants to make your life miserable. Is there anyone greater than God? Is there anything greater than God and His ways? No. So then, then why wouldn't we as followers of Christ want to follow His path? Because it's best for us. Yet we buy into the lie that my sin is going to bring me some measure of satisfaction. But does it? No, I can speak from experience that all it does is bring heartache, guilt, and frustration. It never delivers on what it promises to deliver. Folks, repent, change your mind, follow Christ. So if you're not a believer, turn to Him today. Listen to His voice. Become a follower. If you are a believer, walk in the newness of life. Romans chapter 6, verse 4 says, We were buried, therefore with Him, by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. That's what, our, that's what our privilege is, that we get to walk in the newness of life. And the only way that we can walk in the newness of life is because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. Listen, God has given you the choice. He decides your fate based on the choice that you make. Choose Christ. Choose this day whom you will serve. There's a story I want to share with you as we close out this morning about a, a very wealthy man. And he was, he was devoted to his young son. And they shared a passion of art collection. And uh, they traveled around the world together. And, and, and they found the finest art treasures uh, to add to their uh, collection. Like Picasso and, and Van Gogh and Monet. And, uh, and all of these things adorned their walls of their family estate. Well, the, uh, the dad, he was a widow... Uh, look, he, he just watched his son, and he was so satisfied as he watched his son become a very expert art collector. And, and so he was just full of pride watching his son. His son's trained eye, uh, he, he, was, he, he started to see what he was supposed to see. He had, he had sharp business savvy, and, uh, and they just they got really good at it. Well, uh, winter approached, and uh, there was a war that was taking place that in, it ended up engulfing the nation. And the young man left to serve his country. And after only a few short weeks, his father received a telegram that his son was missing in action. And, uh, and so this art collector was quite anxious, and he wanted to hear more news about, about his son. And he, he, he was fearful that he'd never see his son again. And so within days, his fears were realized the young man had died while rushing uh, a fellow soldier to a medic. And so he was, obviously, he was broken. He was, he was distraught. And he was coming up on the Christmas holidays, and he was, he was full of anguish and sadness. And so um, he, he just, he was sitting around and, and feeling bad. Well, on this particular Christmas day, uh, Christmas morning, there was a knock at the door. And, uh, and so the, 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 the old man, depressed, went to the door, and, and, uh, and he had all the masterpieces were on the wall around him. It was just beautiful. But they only reminded him that his son wasn't coming home. 
And so as he opened the door, he was greeted by a soldier with a large package in his hand. And, and he introduced himself to the man by saying, I was a friend of your son. And, and uh, I was the one he was rescuing when he died. Well, may I come in for a few moments? I have something to show you. And so as the two began to talk, uh, the soldier told him of how the man's son had, had told him everything about his father and just the wonderful relationship they had about his love for fine art. And so this soldier fancied himself as, a, a, as an artist, and, and so he painted a picture of the son. And he said, I want to give you this picture. Uh, and so the, the old man opened up the picture and unwrapped it, and it was uh, as a portrait of his son. And uh, it certainly, from the eye of an expert, was, was no, no prize. But it meant a great deal to the father. And he hung it over the fireplace with great pride. Well, as time went on, the, uh, the, the man ended up passing away. And, uh, and so they were taking care of the estate. And as you can imagine, having such a, such a collection, the art community was chomping at the bit to get in there and uh, bid on these bid on these things in in the estate, and they wanted to get this uh, this beautiful these beautiful pieces of art, and so um, and so the auctioneer started the uh, started the auction, and uh, but the first piece of art that was going for auction was the picture of the sun, and as you can imagine that. Uh, the auctioneer says, who, who will open the bidding at $100? And no one said anything. No one wanted that piece of art. Uh, and, and, and from the back of the room, someone says, who cares about that painting? It's just a picture of his son. Let, let's forget about that and get on to the good stuff. And more voices came out in agreement. And, 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 and the auctioneer said, no, I have been instructed that I need to sell off the, this one first. So, now, who will take the sun? Finally, a friend of the old man spoke up. Would he, will you take $10 for the picture of the sun? That's all I have, and I, I knew the boy, and so I wouldn't mind having it. And so the auctioneer says, all right, I have $10. Will anybody go higher? After more silence, the, the auctioneer said, all right, going once, going twice, sold. And he threw his gavel down, and cheers filled the room. And someone said, now we can get on with it and, and bid on these treasures. And the auctioneer looked at the audience and announced that the auction was over. It was over. And they were stunned. They, they, they couldn't believe it. And someone, someone said, what do you mean it's over? We, we didn't come here for a picture of some old guy's son. What, what about these paintings? There's millions of dollars of art here. And, and I demand that you explain what is going on here. And so the auctioneer said, it's very simple. According to the will of the Father, whoever takes the son gets it all. Kind of puts things in perspective, doesn't it? Those, those art collectors discovered on that day... What we know, the message is still today, the love of a father. A father whose greatest joy came from his son who went away and gave his life to rescue others. And because of that father's love, whoever takes the son, whoever chooses the son, gets it all. 
Listen to Jesus. If you want to live, listen to Jesus. He, Jesus' voice gives life from God. His, his, Jesus' authority comes from God. And Jesus decides your fate because he is God. There's nothing more that I want for you than for you to listen to Jesus, to choose him. Life, to choose life, eternal life. That's the amazing result, that you and I can enjoy eternal life. And it's our privilege not only to accept that on our own, but to share that truth with those around us. He is able to call you and others with his voice and give you life because he has authority over all of life. And he has given you that choice, and your fate hangs in the balance. And so I ask you, what will you do with the choice that he's given you today?